about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith, even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd followed from the town, and they were with her. When the Lord Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the bier. They were carrying with him, and the bearers stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Friends, good evening. It's fantastic to be with you. My name's Matt, one of the pastors here. If you're new or visiting, it's so good to have you here. You're more than welcome. If you're online this evening, great to have you with us. And we have another new church member up the back, Esme Govenda, which is really exciting. So make sure you go say hello to, to Desh and Jill and make sure they're actually alive and okay. That'd be a good thing. Small babies can be terrifying. Now, we're continuing our look through the book of Luke. Uh, following on from our series on Elijah. And we're specifically looking at the person of Jesus from the the viewpoint of Elijah and and seeing what kind of shadows and light that casts onto Jesus uh, and so we might see him in a a fresh light. And so we're going to continue on that today. Now, I need the clicker, and I'm going to see if someone's got it. That's really good. Thank you so much. But particularly today, as we see see that contrast particularly striking in the passage today, The question we need to keep in mind, the word to keep in mind, is the idea of authority. Now, I can't think of 
really anything that Australians have more trouble handling than authority. We have a complicated, ambivalent, maybe disastrous, maybe non-existent relationship to various types of authority. You can see that just in the graffiti around Newtown or in the just bin stickers that are, are kind of happening now around election time. We really dislike politicians of all varieties. Uh, we have an inability to trust their legitimacy, the power they've been given, and their integrity on the other hand, and whether they're actually good news for our society or not. We really struggle with all those aspects of them. But I think our problem with authority extends beyond politics to just institutions in general. Places of power and authority that our trust in has been shaken by abuses and all kinds of things that have happened. Hugh Mackay, thinking about this and reflecting on Australians, has said, well, a healthy skepticism is always in order. The widespread loss of trust in the institutions is an unhealthy an unhealthy state for us to be in. We have a fundamental breakdown with authority and trust in it that is eroding our ability to do things as a society. And that's not to say that we don't have um, authority figures and ones that we trust in and ones we hand power to. You just have to look at Instagram to see that. And this whole rise of influences, people who we see something in and, and through our likes and through our attention, give them gravitas and authority of some sort to then speak on matters that matter to us. We are people who actually have authority figures, but they're not in the places they used to be. So while we have this ambivalent relationship and this complicated one, we do have people we like in authority. Now this all matters when we come to God and Jesus. Because it's our breakdown in trust in power and authority that affects our ability to take on Jesus' role as prophet. As speaker, authorized speaker of the word of God and the purposes of God. And what happens is our lack of trust in things like the church institutionally leads us to mistrust Jesus and God and his purposes. And authority is what is on view in this passage. And handle how to handle the authority of Jesus. And why we can't actually trust it when our trust is broken down in other things. So that's a question to keep in mind. And we're going to wrestle with this idea of authority. And what we're going to see is that Jesus' relationship to Elijah and the prophet Elisha helps us understand his authority in the right way. Okay? Now, I'm going to spend most of my time on chapters, uh, verses 11 and following, but we need to get started in the first half just to raise the right question, and then we'll move from there. Four things for you tonight about Jesus and authority. The first thing that I want to set up from the first miracle, the first 10 verses of this chapter, is just the nature of prophetic authority that Jesus has. Now, in this first part of the passage, you have a centurion commander in the army whose servant is unwell and he's loved by the people of Capernaum and his servant is about to die and he's heard of Jesus and he sends some of the Jewish elders to Jesus to speak on his behalf to get Jesus to come and heal his servant and the Jewish leaders say to Jesus you really should go this guy's great he's great for our synagogue he's great for the Jewish people in this part of the world go 
and heal his servant. But here's what happens next. Jesus wasn't far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That's why I don't even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. To catch his reverence, his sense of distance between him and Jesus, his high regard for who Jesus is, so much so that he won't come to him, and he won't even have him in his house. He has a particular view of Jesus' place and authority. Why does he have this? Well, he goes on. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes and I say to my servant, do this and he does it. You see, the centurion has an understanding of what authority is. To be a centurion is literally to have a century of soldiers under you. But above you is a commander of a thousand and below you are soldiers and also kind of lieutenant-y kind of people with ten soldiers under them. So you fit within a hierarchy of authority. You had to follow the orders of those above, and you had orders you could send below, and just your words would make them happen. And so the centurion looks at Jesus and says, you are someone under the authority of God, and when you say things, things happen. People respond. Things are altered. It's a wonderful view of Jesus. All it needs to happen is for the word to be said and his servant will be healed. Now Jesus goes on to marvel at the centurion's faith. And the friends go home and find that the servant has been made well. Straight away. But maybe we wrestle with this. This very hierarchical understanding of authority and Jesus' place in it. Can we trust him to have that kind of power? Is it right for us to think of ourselves hierarchically in that kind of way? But this is the essence of what it means to have prophetic authority. To be authorized by God. And when you speak, things happen. The world is altered by the word of God that you speak. That's the authority and power that Jesus has, according to the centurion. But we're left wondering, well, how does that work, and can we trust it, and is it legitimate? And this is where the contrast with Jesus and Elijah and Elisha becomes very interesting. And that's what the next miracle reveals. So the, and the sec, uh, second thing we see, and the first thing we see in this part of the story, is that Jesus is a compassionate prophet, like Elijah and Elisha. What happens next is this. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. The only son of his mother. And she was a widow. This is an awful scene. A funeral procession. A widowed woman, now pushed further into poverty by the death of her only son. A whole town 
grieving and pain together. And here's Jesus in the midst of it. This is where Jesus loved to be. This is where you often see him in the Gospels. In places of pain and difficulty with vulnerable women and men and children. Remarkably helping. But it's kind of odd, isn't it, don't you think, at the same time? For a high-powered prophet of God to be with the vulnerable? To be in the midst of places like this, just wandering around and meeting people and, and healing them and miraculously doing things in God's name? It's kind of odd. But in other ways, it's not. Jesus is being cast in the light of Elijah and Elisha, who in the same way were people who met the vulnerable, the outcast, and aided them. In fact, this exact scene has happened already with Elijah and also with his predecessor, Elisha, the prophet as well. We read this in 1 Kings. We read it before. Elijah is commanded to go to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a widow to supply, and now Elijah will get food from her. And then later, we, the scene is recorded where Elijah carries the dead son of this widow into the upper room and lays her on the bed. Same thing with the prophet Elisha in 2 Kings 4. We'll get to this later in the year. When Elisha reached the house, there was a boy lying dead on his couch. He went in and shut the door on the two of them and prayed to the Lord. You see, Luke is putting this story in knowing that we know the other stories. And trying to tell us Jesus is a prophet like Elijah and Elisha. Who visited widows. Who was in the dark, grievous, outcast places. Because that's where the prophets of God went. That's what they were like. They cared for those on the margins. They had a remarkable ministry with those who were vulnerable. Jesus is a, a prophet who cares like them, but... There's a wonderful difference too. You know, Elijah was sent to the widow. Jesus goes out to find this one. And Elijah and Elisha, they care for these women and the children that have died. But they're also filled with panic and distress. What we read instead of Jesus is this calm, beautiful depth of warmth and compassion. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. And he said, don't cry. Literally, it, the words mean that his, his bowel was moved. Do you know that physical, visceral response you have to someone in pain out of empathy and connection? Jesus has it with the widow. And he moves toward her to comfort her. There's a depth of compassion to Jesus' care in this moment that far surpasses Elijah and Elisha. They appear odd even when they're caring. They're strange folk. But Jesus is this beautiful depth and compassion to him. That's the kind of holder of authority that he is. But where this contrast gets interesting is in the basic confidence Jesus has. 
where Elijah and Elisha were just stressed and anxious. You know, Elijah and Elisha do what Jesus does in this story. But Jesus does it in a way that far surpasses them both. You know, when Jesus says, don't cry to the widow, he's not dismissing her emotions. He's not saying, don't be in pain because of this. He's calmly and confidently foreshadowing what he is about to do in raising the boy from the dead. And it's this confidence and calm in Jesus, which is really different from Elijah and Elisha. Let me just remind you of what happened with them. This is Elijah in the room with the dead boy. He cries to the Lord, Oh Lord my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die? He stretches himself out on the boy three times and cries, Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. Elijah is desperate and distressed and anxious. He doesn't know whether God will answer. Or take Elisha in the same situation. Elisha said to Gehazi, his assistant, lay my staff on the boy's face. And Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the boy's face, but there was no response. So Gehazi went back to meet Elijah and said, the boy's not awakened. It didn't work. So Elisha goes and he lays on the body of the boy, the same as Elijah did, and stretches himself out, but the boy's body just gets warm. So Elisha turned away and just walks back and forth in the room and stretches out again till the boy sneezes seven times. One commentator speaking of Elisha said, there was just this fumbling sense of inadequacy as he repeatedly tries to raise this boy but can't. You know, Elijah and Elisha in the face of this, these awful deaths are exactly like me and you. Fumblingly inadequate in the face of what has happened. It's a feeling I had when I was eight years old next to my grandfather's hospital bed as he ebbed away from cancer. The inadequacy I felt in year 12 when one of my friends called me one day to tell of an accident the night before and one of our friends was gone. Or any number of awful funerals I've been to in the last 10 years of young people lost for reasons they shouldn't have been. Elijah and Elisha are desperate in the face of death, anxious and distressed and not sure what to do or not sure whether God will answer, and God does. But did you see what Jesus did? He went up, he touched the bier they were carrying, there stood still, and he said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. There's no anxiety, no distress, calm confidence that only Jesus had, even that the greatest prophets who raised the dead didn't have in the face of death.
You know, it's Jesus' confidence that gives us serenity and confidence when we walk in the same dark places, friends. When we're walking with friends who are dying. When we're watching the ones we love and we're losing them. This same Jesus, compassionate and confident, is with us. And he lends us a calm to our chaos and anxiety. You know, the centurion said of Jesus that if you speak the word, it'll happen. And he does it with the dead. And as Jesus speaks a word that raises this son, so he can raise us. So he can raise the ones we love with just a word. There is nothing else you will find on this planet that will give you confidence before death that Jesus can. Because what we see here finally is that Jesus has an ultimate authority over death. Luke, in, in showing us this story and knowing we have Elijah and Elisha in the background, is kind of just trying to demonstrate how far above in authority Jesus is, even to the great prophets. How much more power is in him. This really was struck home to me by the one other raising of the dead in Elijah and Elisha narrative, which is totally random, and is a complete side note. And you'd miss it if you blinked. 2 Kings 13. Just before it, Elisha dies, they bury him. Meanwhile, once while some Israelites were burying another man, suddenly they saw a band of raiders. So they threw the man's body into Elisha's tomb. When the body touched Elisha's bones... The man came back to life and stood up on his feet. In other news, there was this other king called Amaziah. Seriously, the narrative just stops there and just keeps going and talking about whatever else it was talking about. As if it hadn't introduced zombies to the world for the very first time. Like This is the first zombie narrative in an ancient text. This man just comes back to life after touching the bones of another body. It is so random and haphazard and odd. It sums up the ministry of Elijah and Elisha, these great faithful prophets who weren't really in control of anything that was happening. But that is not Jesus. Jesus with deliberate and intentional touch and purpose and power raises the dead with an ultimate authority that Elijah and Elisha just did not have. So the people watching the scene were all filled with awe and praised God and said, A great prophet has appeared among us. Thinking Elijah and Elisha, but bigger. God has come to help his people. Here is someone whose words alter things. Here is someone who in his power can raise the dead. Here is someone finally worth paying attention to, who has real deep and lasting power and authority. It's similar to what happens at the end of Elijah's parallel narrative. The woman says, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. 
That's to be our conclusion about Jesus from this story. That whatever doubts we have about authority and institutions and whatever trust we feel we can't quite lay in them, we need never say that about Jesus. His integrity, his legitimacy is sealed by his dramatic authority over death. He has such authority that we can lay our souls into his hands in death and know that his very words will raise us. He has such authority and power that we need not question the truth from his lips nor what he asks of our lives. This is the great and final prophet after Elijah and Elisha. The great interrupter of funerals. Who interrupts the funerals of boys and men and women with his own. Jesus can raise the dead because he became dead. And rose again authorized by God forever. With all authority and power to raise the dead. Having conquered death. Friends, you may be skeptical about some people in power, but you need never be skeptical of Jesus. He has a final, truthful, powerful, legitimate authority. Rest in him. Amen. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.